0: Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events, and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1 through 4 of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science Podcast, this and our latest uh, episode or issue of the weekly review. I'm joined by my colleagues Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan as well as our producer Kevin Tran. Um, I want to welcome everybody and we'll spend just a couple minutes as, as per normal during this year called 2020 um, looking at what's going on with COVID um, and other threats to uh, retail and other environments and people that we're trying to safeguard. Um, infection rates uh, continue to rise. Um, Globally, um, at the same time, it still continues to look like uh, the data is showing death rates uh, are not rising at anywhere close to the same level. And and again, as we reported before across uh, different demographic groups, um, including age and um, those of us in the population that might have comorbidities. Um, So we know that uh, there's more and more research on some of the individuals, some of us that might uh, suffer what some are calling long haulers or long COVID, um, looking at systems, skin, cardiovascular, lungs, you know, respiratory. What effects are there? Are there ways to mitigate that? We've talked about it before, some of the therapies that are being used that seem to be successful more and more being trialed at different phases to reduce coagulation, to um, <clears throat> reduce inflammation, Brady uh, bradykinin and Uh, cytokine release uh, in other words our own immune system and you know our immune system we know is uh, according to all the research and experts that I've been able to listen to talk to or read about uh, our immune systems are incredibly complex and have evolved uh, and co-evolved really with parasites you know that's how that's what a disease typically is is something that's preying on another and we're the host in this case but we have strata and so our, our complex uh, immune systems are really computational and highly adaptive um, for everything, bacterial, uh, viral, fungal, and so forth. So um, we know that that's, that's different. Now, uh, some of the newer research coming out just now showing that you know, a typical ri- virus that invades a cell, let's say in this case a human cell, replaces about 1% of its um, drivers, the what's so-called software. Uh, of that cell, uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, is the highest that uh, they've ever seen, replacing up to 60 and even more percent of a cell's operating software. So um, <clears throat> that that accounts for some of the really bizarre and different uh, effects that they're seeing from this uh, disease uh, that SARS-CoV-2 turns into, called COVID-19. Um, on the vaccine front. Um, we're looking at uh, now 155 preclinical trials in uh, computer simulations in silico, if you will, as well as um, in animal models. Um, 22 in phase one. Again, those are looking primarily at safety uh, and dosage. And then uh, phase two trials, larger, looking more now at uh, efficacy as well as safety profiles to understand what might be happening as a result of, of the... Uh, injection or pill or in uh, treatment. Uh, 10 in phase three now. Another one has entered phase three trials. Um, Pretty big news this week, the Pfizer team reporting that um, they were looking for a certain amount of uh, positive cases in their uh, test group, looking at both the placebo arm and the treatment arm, Um, and they surpassed that threshold quite a bit. Um, and are, are watching and working with, of course, the overseers of the project. These are double-blind studies, by the way, most of them, so that neither the, the subject or the participant, whether they get the placebo or the actual uh, treatment, the therapy, don't know what they got um, as well as the, uh, the, tests, the testers, those giving the injections and even those analyzing the data. It's only the independent group that knows who's who so now, by uh, running the numbers, it's looking like over ninety percent efficacy. Um, bear in mind again, the typical flu vaccines that dramatically reduce infection and serious disease in populations is around forty percent. Some are more uh, efficacious than that. And again, the uh, the U.S. government, uh, NIH, and so on, set a fifty percent efficacy threshold for uh, COVID vaccines. So if these uh, numbers, the data continue to support a 90%, that's a pretty good finding. It may be multi-dose and needs to be refrigerated. And we've talked about that before Um, one, two or three doses. And does it need to be kept cold to preserve the proteins uh, intact and so forth? So um, good news on that front, that things are continuing to move. Others are getting very close to being at the end uh, and starting to pull the data out. And the independent reviewers, again, The big committees have been meeting um, the NIH and CDC committees are advising on these vaccines and the distribution of these vaccines. Um, So that's under heavy planning. We already know that under the administration's Operation Warp Speed that um, the infrastructure, there's a plan, including the military. So distribution is out there. Some other interesting news comes from the nasal front, if you will. (laughs) A lot of research on particles and droplets and how this all works and comes together, and um, that we know that particles, viral particles, don't just move around. They have to go through uh, droplets, that we're, you know, a link in the uh, infection chain, and that a virus uh, lives to reproduce, and as do probably any any empty, and so, but uh, humans were in this chain, and an individual that's infected with COVID-19 from the SARS-CoV-2 virus Uh, now is part of that infection chain and the virus is depending on that individual us to in turn spread it to one or more the more the better um to of other individuals to keep things going um and so uh we know that's a big part of it new data are showing that you know on average most viruses they see in the droplets there's normally to be an infectious load or dose uh, the individual we need to inhale roughly two to three thousand particles in the in the droplets, um, but with COVID nineteen, it's looking like on average infected infected patients have only inhaled around three hundred particles. So that explains part of the reason why this is a more infectious uh, disease or um, than other viruses. Um, the other concern is that as winter approaches. Uh, and humidity levels drop, hard for us to determine here, we're in the midst of a hurricane again, uh, or rain bands from a tropical storm, soon to be a hurricane here in Florida. Uh, but as the humidity drops, um, that dehydration means there are even more particles per droplet, so if an individual inhales, particularly through their nose, um, 100 or more particles, um, that's a lot easier to do uh, in a low humidity environment. So. Uh, stay tuned there. That's why they're calling for snug, fitting, multi-layered masks. That's the best protection to reduce the amount of particles. So again, it looks like the goal is to get well below 300 particles in the droplets that we might inhale and why uh, they're saying that we need our noses covered up um, with our masks. And so moving over on that same front, though, some more exciting news on uh, a, a nose spray therapy that's under research right now In animal models and in uh, silico, or in other words, um, very realistic computer simulations uh, preparing to move to human trials um, And the nose spray uh, affects the protein shapes and and these things uh, in a complex way. But in other words, the idea here is it's looking like an individual, particularly those that are far uh, away from vaccines or want to supplement or whatever the physicians and scientists advise at that time, uh, uh, one spray might protect 12 to 24 hours um, and not allow a virus to take root if, if and again, the person inhales more than 300 particles. So um, that's what's going on on that front. Um, moving over to destructive disorder, um, where demonstrations are either blocking uh, businesses, uh, customers, uh, and employees, uh, or they're intimidating customers and employees, uh, or become violent um, or destructive, you know, through burning, looting, and damaging, uh, tagging, and things like that. Um, th- what's looking like right now with the election, and I know with Tom, we're going to ask Tom to talk a little bit more about what's going on on the destructive disorder front. Um, but but some of the violence, in there it looks like there's not been very much, have been where blue and red supporters have clashed, rather than one group or the other going and committing a lot of damage. Um, but we'll learn more as time goes on here. Um, and again, many retailers are using uh, the tool that Kenneth Carlson and our team developed—the uh, Violence Tracker tool—as uh, well as getting on uh, the LPRC's FusionNet. So, um, uh, going over to some more LPRC news. IOBSE uh, conference is today, and as we speak today, um, this is uh, a tu- Tuesday, the tenth, and um, we're excited to have a 90-minute session with the International Organization of Black Security Executives, um, and uh, myself and my team will be going through what evidence-based and science-based practice looks like, why we do it, get down into the weeds a little bit with some criminology and and practice, um, practical uses of situational crime prevention, and then both Kenna Carlson and uh, Dr. Corey Lowe, two of our research scientists here, will go through some really neat case studies and and engage with the group and talk through and share with each other um, as we move forward together. <clears throat> so for more information uh, on any of these events that we've got, including the fact that 2020 Impact Virtual uh, is totally available now to, to the public free of charge. And we've got many, many things that are available and coming available. Um, so what I, with no further ado, I'm going to turn it over to a friend and colleague, Tony D'Onofrio to bring us up to speed on what we need to know in the U.S. and globally
2: in retailing and elsewhere. Thanks, Tony. Thank you very much, Reed. And really good information on the state of where we're at with the pandemic and LPRC. So let me start today with uh, 5G. So where are we in the world with 5G? So the top three countries with the fastest 5G are Saudi Arabia, South Korea, and Australia. Astoundingly, Saudi Arabia has a speed of 5G of 377 megabits per second. USA ranks eight right now at 52 megabits per second. It's live in the U.S. in selected locations, but users are connected to it only 21% of the time. Right now in the U.S., it's only 1.8 times faster than 4G and trails all the other countries I just mentioned. Uh, and that's from Statista. Let me move on to the uh, NRF which released their holiday forecast. This is the NRF uh, holiday forecast. So U.S. consumers will spend about $1,000 on gifts, uh, decorations, and other non-gift purchases. On the gift-specific portion, that's gonna be down only $9 from last year, which was surprising to about $650. 19% said they typically travel, but will stay home this year, 53% have changed their travel who have changed their travel plans spend plan to spend more on gifts this year what should um, what do consumers want to uh, start shopping earlier from retailers so they want sales and promotions number one 53 percent they want to avoid crowds 37 percent and avoid stress of last minute shopping of 31 percent 60 percent will shop online 91 percent. Plan to take advantage of free shipping, and 44% plan to use buy online, pick up in stores. Uh, the top three destination for holiday shoppers this year are department stores, discount stores, and surprisingly, grocery stores. Uh, so that's a little bit on uh, the, the predictions for the holidays. I also, found some interesting data in terms of what were the top five pandemics in history. So these are the top five. Number one was the worldwide smallpox epidemic, uh, which killed um, 500 million people and this was way back in history. Number two was the Spanish flu from 1918 to 1919, which killed 50 million people. The plague of Justinian in the year 483 to 565, killed 30 to 50 million. HIV AIDS from 1981, to present has killed 32 million. And the buponic plague or Black Death uh, from 1347 to 1351 killed 25 million. So just to give you a perspective on that, COVID-19 is currently ranked as number 13 with about a million people as of the date of this study, which was October 13. Also interesting in this where the word quarantine came from. So quarantine as a concept was invented during the Black Plague when sailors will be forced to stay on their ships for 40 days to avoid spreading the illness. And the, the word quarantine comes from the Italian word for 40, which is quaranta. So I did not know that, that my culture actually invented quarantine. So let me move on on some data that stresses again, the importance of physical stores. This data is from Perch Interactive, um, more, commerce that is being delivered right now where the store is actually becoming the fulfillment center versus the warehouse. So just to give you an idea, in January, 2020, 35% of online orders were filled by stores. That dropped to 24% by April. In July, that jumped back up. So 42% of what is bought online is actually filled by physical stores. And so that gives you the, again, the importance of physical stores. And one of the reasons why physical stores are very, very important. Again, I've said this a few times while it because it's important. They are the most profitable. So the a consumer walking into a store shopping, for example, the average margin is about 5% in a grocery store for home delivery. If the grocer picks up the grocery and then delivers them from the store, then the, the margin drops to negative 15%. If the grocer picks it up from a dark store, which is a new trend that's emerging, it's negative 10%. For a buy online, pick up, or click and collect, so somebody picks it up, if you pick it up from the store, it's negative 5%. And if you pick it up from a dark store, it's better, and it's uh, about less than 1%. But it gives you an idea, again, why the emergence now of of dark stores, because they are a cheaper way for uh, retailers to actually deliver goods to you that were bought online. This week is actually what will, will take place the largest shopping day of the year. Uh, it's called Singles Day. It takes place in China on November 11. Last year, Alibaba loaned $38 billion in 24 hours, which compares to about 28 billion for the entire Thanksgiving holiday weekend from Thanksgiving all the way to Cyber Monday. So it gives you an idea how big this one day is. Uh, single day started as a college prank where the singles decided that, why should Valentine's have all the fun? Let's create a day where we can go buy ourselves a gift. And so November 11 was born because November 11 is one, 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 one. So it's for singles. And really Alibaba took it to the next level as a shopping celebration. Uh, so this year they actually did a test run already uh, to see how it would go and the results are encouraging. In the test run, 100 brands including Adidas, Estee Lauder, and Nike generated $50 million in gross volume in the first 111 minutes of the preview. Uh, They also tested uh, live streaming, which I've talked about in the past. Uh, Cartier, for example, had nearly uh, 800,000 people on their live stream tuning in. So the event is getting bigger and bigger, more than 2 million products are slated to be revealed during the main event on November 11th this week. So U.S. actually tried to replicate it this year. There was a group of retailers that created the October 10th holiday, so 1010. Uh, and then that did not go as well. Fewer than 60 brands participated and they have not issued the results. So it must not gone as well, but it is a good idea because these shopping holidays are becoming bigger and bigger. And then finally, just for this audience and the importance of technology, Amazon released this week a new uh, Dash Smart Shelf. So this is a Smart Shelf that's Wi-Fi enabled that will keep track of what's on that shelf. And if you remove the item, it will basically send you a reminder that you're low and it will send you a, a, a reorder button so you can quickly reorder based on what the chef is telling you. So that's a little bit of what's going on in retail and technology. And with that I'm going to turn over to Tom. Thanks
3: Tony, thanks reid and, and Tony as usual uh, we have some crossover and I'll kind of start with uh, my activities this week because they kind of run through some of the things I talked about. So this week I'm going to be speaking at the American Cash Council's uh, North American Conference. It's a currency research um, organization focused around Central banks primarily and then bank partners. And one of the topics I'll be discussing is the consumer behavior changes in relationship to COVID 19. And Tony, you highlighted uh, right on the money some of the margin implications of going from brick and mortar to uh, pickup or uh, delivery of functionality. And one of the things that I'll be talking about and continue to talk about while the numbers are still very fresh is in some merchant environments, grocery being one of them, but some soft goods environments, when you layer in the margin implications of having to deliver a product that you would have sold the store before, and then add in the increased potential for fraud, there are some organizations, while uh, they're not in the grocery world, in the apparel world, where they're seeing significant increases in online sales, they're also seeing significant increases on fraud, and they're seeing significant decreases in margin, in some cases being Net negative. So um, it really speaks to the importance of having brick and mortar and really also the importance of being able to still accept cash in environments. We, you know, Tony and I actually spoke, I don't remember when, but uh, about, you know, the digital acceleration and contactless payment and some of the things that are occurring. There still are a fair amount of people that want to use cash. The numbers are all over the place, but um, there's still, you know, a, a significant number of U.S. folks that are unbanked um, that need to use cash. And retailers in some markets went uh, and swung the pendulum, uh, not not um, out of fear, but really out of demand to limit cash taking. And I'll use Starbucks as an example, just because it was the one that got the most press around it, where they didn't take cash for a very short period of time, but very quickly realized there was still a large percentage in certain markets that used cash. So just a reminder, kind of the to when you're looking at your risk portfolios and you are looking at these online initiatives and these in-store pickups, while I think they're necessary and I think they're important to the growth, it's, it can't be one without the other. It is kind of an, an argument of chicken with the egg. You have to have a good, complex brick-and-mortar store. Also, um, and uh, I'm tr- in transit, so I don't have my notes in front of me, but there was a study that kind of talked to the, the value of brick-and-mortar fulfillment. And I think Tony mentioned in the 40% range of brick and mortar fulfillment for from store and how that helps with margin impacts, you know, controlling delivery costs, speed to, to customer, and then also from a refund standpoint of avoiding that shipment that has to be touched three or four times. So um, I don't know that these are new problems related to COVID. I think they're just exasperated because of COVID. Additionally, I'll be talking this week at uh, the Global Retail Crime Summit for investigators and ORC Still is a challenge, and the challenge today is, uh, I would say, greater than it was in the past because we're dealing with st- still some of the law enforcement challenges where they are under resourced or overtasked. And how do you manage ORC? And in certain markets, and this is definitely not um, a specific, it's more of a general statement, you have departments that have already um, taken the approach of not making arrests at all because of COVID, and that's most departments here, but now also um, with bail reform and all the other things going in, retail, uh, crime, regardless of the scale, becomes very, very minimized. And again, it's a general statement. It's not necessarily by design. It, it, it is, in some cases, jurisdictional based on the law, but in other cases, it's just a resource piece. So I'm talking about this week about that. And then I'll I'll round out with the Net, which uh, Reid spoke about, which is the LPRC's Virtual Operations Command Center. Um, And uh, this uh, kind of a a virtual SOC, if you will, but a collaboration, virtual SOC. And uh, although I think, uh, uh, which is great news, that some of the the projections of protests were minimized, there were still hotspot markets, so Colorado, uh, Portland, Uh, So Denver, Colorado, you had Portland, Oregon, you had Seattle, Washington, uh, several different places in Northern California. Um, there was small beds in New York city, uh, DC had some protests, protesting. Um, I would say that based on our reporting and what we were seeing much, much, much uh, more of a minimal impact, although Denver, uh, downtown Manhattan and, um, Portland had significant protesting. Unfortunately, I, I don't like to say this because it comes off the wrong way. Uh, it's it's actually expected in those markets based on some of the, the political climate, the law enforcement climate and some other things. I'm happy to report that what I saw predominantly in DC was extremely pre, uh, peaceful. Um, and actually it was much more, uh, I think we posted some videos on the fusion net and this is kind of a, a contrast of media. Media said there were thousands of people gathering in DC and we had actually live feed of people singing and basically you know, doing a very, very peaceful protest on both sides, uh, both the red and the blue. So that's great news, and we hope to continue to see that. Uh, we'll continue to run the fusion net around election. Um, I think you'll see some weather-related events, and um, probably in the upcoming weeks, we'll talk about what the permanency and what the long-term strategy is with the fusion net. Is the platform the right platform to use? Um, I, th- I think that Uh, The platform really lends well to some voice channels. We had um, daily calls uh, for the members uh, to join, which allowed people to just jump on at a 5.30 uh, in the evening, have a quick conversation, ask a question, and run through. And then we added a few channels that I think are very useful, even outside of um, a potential civil disturbance or weather event, is where we have an open source intelligence tools channel where people are sharing what's working, uh, both paid and free. So that paid, paid and free. And one of the great things about the LPRC and what I tell everybody uh, who asks about joining is the participate. When you put something in, you get something out. And um, I found myself on that channel talking to folks and saying, "Wow, that's a different way to do it. I've never seen that." Vice versa, or yes, I've used that service. Um, I prefer this service. And uh, the great part is you have a very collaborative environment. That if you need to take it offline. Uh, you just click a different button and you're having a private conversation because as everybody knows, there are some conversations that just make more sense that way. And we also discussed in the fusion that some uh, tools of the trade, will what tools of the trade, if you will, what laminate was working, what boarding was working, how some of the challenges with historical locations were were playing out and where, where and how to board there, how to implement video in places where you couldn't. So really, really good information. If you're listening to podcasts and you're a member and you're not, and you haven't at least reached out to look at it, I would encourage you to do so if you have any of uh, the things that fall in under that privy, if you're involved in safety or risk whatsoever uh, in your role, it's really valuable um, and you really will get a lot out of it. In addition to the um, the benefit of networking with folks that are in a similar industry and you can talk to them in the market to say, hey, what, what did you do? And you really get into deep routed conversations about identifying challenges that are very market specific very location based um so really great stuff and i can't uh, i can't uh thank uh the members that joined and the all pairs enough because it was um a tough task to do it in the manner that we did went, we did very we got it moving very quickly up and running a lot of participation and i know early on there was some conversation about the format of what it was. And I think one of the things that uh, Reed and I and, and the, the team talked about on the innovations call is that the method or format isn't as important as the information. And I think um, what we really found out is that was the case. So without further ado, I'll turn it over back over to Reed to wrap up.
1: I appreciate that. And, and I couldn't agree more, Tom, uh, Tom on the whole fusionet issue that um, the team came together, rapidly stood up initial framework and alpha test. got two retailers to help get some feedback, feedback from you, um, and a couple of others that are very tech savvy and then moved to more of a beta platform made adjustments. And there's probably been four different quick iterations in, in the middle of the heat of, I hate to use the term battle, um, but getting ready for dangerous weather and, and again, these destructive uh, disorder situations. So, um, these events. So, it's, it's there. And I think for any listener out there to know the LPRC and, and the research team I'm on at the University of Florida, we are here primarily to support through research, through rigorous uh, evidence based practice. Um, you know, trying to help define that and deliver, and adjust and adapt. So these things are in adaptive mode, and we're very open and discussing: uh, should we use the, the the same platform? Should we continue to look at other platforms? But the idea is that it's here, and we don't normally and never really run a service before. Uh, the idea is to provide a prototypical approach, but helping the members out while we're doing that. It's like these emergency we talk about on the on these broadcasts here. Uh, on these episodes around uh, experimental treatments to get emergency approval. And while it's being researched and better understood, people are are benefiting from it. So I think that's where we are. We're still having multiple members get on at 1030 a.m. Eastern and 530 p.m. Eastern. Obviously, the numbers are down right now since the violence is down. And the main area of discussion is how to pivot and uh, in design, rapid response, um, protective measures, both you mentioned laminates and even just conventional boarding um, to uh, employees and how everything responds and works, how to plan with law enforcement partners and the rest of the community partners, um, the administration and so on in each of these communities. Um, so we're all learning together. Um, and uh, we'll keep going there. But I, I suspect now, and we've talked about this again before, that these uh, dangerous events that occur are triggered by uh, things as disparate as um, a law enforcement and citizen encounter um, involving firearms, or or something like that, as well as uh, NBA or Major League Baseball championships and everything, in now elections and things like that. So um, there's a lot to to get better at, to better understand, um, and just so everybody knows out of what we call Zone Five, we're working away to better understand these situations, how we deal with them, uh, how we prevent them, how we work with the community, um, how do we bond and, and so on. But if uh, you have seen footage, where people are, um, you know, supporting even an, uh, a movement or an event or a concern, and they're still victimized. So we know that there's a lot of actors out there, too many. They're, they're not about a political candidate or party or even a principle other than, I think, trouble and anarchy in some cases. So those are the people that we're most interested in trying to protect ourselves from while trying to understand the more legitimate and two very legitimate concerns and protests that occur. So um, I appreciate it, Tom and Tony, for all your insights. Um, We're all here trying to do the best we can in one of the most uncertain times in probably recorded history um, called 2020. So thank you, Tony. Uh, Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you all, each and every one of you. Please um, be safe. Uh, Let us know at operations at lpresearch.org. Your questions, your comments, your suggestions, submit things that you think are relevant. If you have good ideas for this podcast, whether it's a weekly series uh, or the ongoing interviews with practitioners and policymakers and and, uh, scientists, we'd love to hear from you. So signing off from Gainesville, Florida. Thank
0: you, everybody.